yes, I was supposed to announce that the children need to, if you'd like to go to Sunday school, the children can go with Sister Roberta downstairs to our Sunday school class so you don't have to listen to me talk. All right, thanks. So just thankful to be here and um, uh, so, so blessed to, to be a part of this church family. And uh, if anything of today, um, Pastor Appreciation Day, I, my prayers I sent up as you, Jim was saying those uh, beautiful words about me was, Lord, I'm so thankful for my wife. Um, she's not here today. She's with her sister in Jackson, and, and uh, I could not do ministry without her. So thankful for her and all that she, she does, and the words being weird and all that stuff was all because Tara wasn't in the background making things happen, and Gracie stepped in graciously and uh, did the best she could, right? So um, anyway, so thank you. So with all that said, we're going to be in the book, the book of Galatians today. We started our new series last week in Galatians. <clears throat> we're going to be in chapter 1, and we're going to read verses uh, 10 through 24 are going to be the passages of Scripture that we're going to cover this morning. That's to the end of chapter 1. I want you guys to know I'm already going to be a sixth of the way through the book of Galatians in just two weeks. So I know I've got to slow it down a little bit, right? Just kidding. So uh, these are the introductory um, passages of Scripture. There's not a lot of teaching going on at this point. Paul's about, about ready to give us the what for on what the gospel of Jesus Christ is and how important it is to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ pure. He's going to teach us these things. Um, but these passages, this opening, his introduction to the letter is really him defending his apostleship. These false teachers had come in claiming to be Christians who said, yes, you need Jesus, but, but you need to add the works of the Jew, Jewish traditions as well. You need to add circumcision and obey the Mosaic law. You essentially need to become a Jew first, and then you can receive Jesus as Messiah. They begin to pervert and change the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For it is by grace, through faith, not of works. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast in Although we today, some 2,000 years later, do not have to, we, we're not worried about anyone in the church saying you must be circumcised or become a Jew to be a Christian first. The spirit of this letter is, is rampant. The false teaching people and religions who desire to take the pure gospel of Jesus and pervert it and add works to it. It says you need Jesus, but you need to do these things as well is the exact same argument that Paul is writing against in this book. And so although the particulars, the, the Judaizers we would call them, is not the, the threat for us today in the church, there's many false teachings, many religions out there that say you need Jesus plus these things. And so Paul is writing to these churches in the Galatian region, to demonstrate to them, first, his authority to proclaim the gospel of grace. And that's what we're going to cover today. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to start in verse 10. And hopefully the, uh, the passage will be on the screen as well, if you'd like to follow along there as well. There's also Bibles underneath the seats for you to be able to follow along. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 the word of the lord says this for i am now trying to persuade for am i now trying to persuade people or god or am i striving to please people if i were still striving to please people i would not be a servant of christ for i want you to know brothers and sisters that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin for i did not receive it from a human source and i was not taught it but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God 
who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. And then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, and I stayed with him 15 days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Verse 20 goes on, I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I write to you. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come before your throne of grace and mercy, Lord. In Sunday school, we were reminded what Christ has done. He has torn the veil, the veil that represented our separation from you because of our sin, because of his sacrificial work on the cross, Lord. The veil has been torn, and we can boldly, all those who are in Christ Jesus, can boldly come before your throne and present our requests and our, and our hurts and our, our um, concerns to you, Lord. We have access to you through Jesus, and we're so thankful for that, God. And so we come to your throne this morning, and we just ask that you would work in our hearts, God. Your spirit, the spirit of God, would do a work. That you would transform us as we open up your word, that your spirit would transform us from the inside out, that you would, would make us a little more like Jesus this morning, God. Through your power, through the power of the Spirit indwelling us, God. We ask that you would also minister to those who are hurting this morning, who have hurts that none of us know about except for you, God. I pray that you would minister to them, that they would be reminded of your love afresh and anew, that they would find the peace that you have given in Jesus and that they would be able to, to just rest in your presence and your power. God, we are grateful for our country, and we pray for our country this morning, Lord. We pray that you would move the hearts of the leaders towards godly things, that they would seek the common good of the people and not their own selfish desires. Father, we pray that our freedoms would remain intact, that we can open your word and freely and boldly proclaim the good news that you've preserved for us and revealed to us. So many concerns before you this morning, Lord. We know you're in control. We rest on that. We just ask that you would meet with us now. For your glory's sake, we ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, so we have this passage of Scripture that Paul's ultimately defending his apostleship, his apostolic authority. And so we can see here, we can read between the lines that these Judaizers, Paul had, and we'll kind of just review this again. This is a map of Paul's first missionary journeys. And so we see here that he went up into the region that is called Galatia, and that's in modern-day Turkey. And that's um, kind of right there. Can't, that's a really bad circle. But that's Turkey, and that's where in those towns there, Iconium and Antioch and Lystra, Paul went into these towns, these Gentile towns, and he began to proclaim Jesus. He began to show uh, that this Jewish Messiah had come, God in the flesh had come, and that even though they were Gentile and they were not under the Mosaic Law, that they too were sinful. They were idolatrous. They were separated from their creator, God because of their sin. And he proclaimed to these Gentiles that they too could embrace and enjoy eternal life that is found in Jesus Christ alone because it was not just for the Jewish people but for the entire world. And so he established these churches in that area and he went on and, he, and this was in 
around 46, 47 AD is Paul's first missionary journey. And so he went on to establish other churches as he went into his second and third missionary journeys. And, and we can follow what Paul did in the book of Acts. That's why we know so much about these areas and what the churches, who the churches were and all that, because it's all found in Acts. And we're going to be going into that today because it's truly an historical account. Right? We're, we're not just believing in folklore here. These are historical events that God has preserved for us that we can see God working in human history. And so, yes, we're taking the time to go through and, and allow Paul to defend his apostleship today. But that's super important for us, even these 2,000 years later, because as false teachers, as people who present a false gospel, present this false gospel, we can stand on the apostleship and the authority that Paul was given by Jesus Christ. And when he declares the gospel to be salvation is through grace by faith alone, or by grace through faith alone, we can stand on his authority in saying that. And we can reject any other false teaching that wants to add to Jesus or change who Jesus is. We reject those things because we stand on the authority of God's word. We stand on the apostolic authority of Paul. And we contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints, even today. And so it's important for us to understand Paul's apostolic authority. So Paul wages his defense of his apostolic authority in verse 11. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. Remember, he began his letter last week and verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle, not by man, not through men. It wasn't given to me by some council of a church that says, you, we now bequeath to you an apostleship. It wasn't through man. It was through Jesus Christ and God the Father. It was from above. Paul, as we'll see, saw the resurrected Lord with his own eyes, which is a requirement for an apostle. He saw them, him. And so he gets digs a little deeper in these verses here. It's not of human origin. Verse 12, for I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. Interesting. Here's Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, whose story is that he once persecuted Christ's church. He goes on to reveal his story. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. And so Paul's giving his story his testimony. Paul's testifying to what his encounter with Jesus Christ did in his life. And we all, hopefully, everyone in the sound of my voice this morning, have a story, a testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. People ask me, how do you witness? You testify to what Jesus Christ has done in your life. That's how you witness. I was this, I met Jesus, and now I'm a child of God. It has nothing to do with me. I was broken. Everything this world had to offer failed, was empty and hollow. Felt like I had this emptiness and hollowness in my heart. And then I met Jesus that emptiness was no longer. What's your story? I know there's those in this audience this morning that can say, I was saved at age four. I called upon Jesus. I knew I was a sinner, and I asked him to save me. And, and so my story's not, it's kind of boring. It's not a boring story. It's my prayer for my children. That they don't have to carry the scars what it is to walk in this evil age and to walk without God and trying to please and satisfy their flesh because they don't have the Holy Spirit within them to guide them in, into all truth and otherwise. It's my prayer for my kids. It's your story. 
your testimony of what Jesus has done. And Paul often, in his interaction, when he'd go into the synagogue, he'd give them his testimony, his story. And we see a little bit of that in his letter to the Philippian church. Paul wrote to talk about a little, gives us a little more insight as far as who Paul was before he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. He says, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, all these things that, re- that would mark you out as a really good Jewish person or a leader. Paul's saying, I checked all the boxes. If salvation or reconciliation or a relationship with God is found in religious works, I am your man, he's saying. A Hebrew, born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal. He not only had the law, but he was zealous for his religion. How does he prove his zeal? By persecuting the church. He was essentially ISIS. He would go into towns and drag out men and women and imprison them. He signed off on the martyrdom, the murder of Stephen. Persecuting the church regarding the righteousness that is the law, blameless. He's like, look, if righteousness truly comes by the law, I was blameless. We'll see his story as in other books as well. But he goes back to Galatians 1, 14 through 16. That's who Paul was before he encountered Jesus. He says, and I remind you again there in Galatians 1, 14, I advanced in Judaism beyond my contemporaries. He sat under the feet of Gamaliel, the, one of the top teachers in, in the Jewish traditions and, and, and rabbis. He was born a, 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 in in uh, Tarsus, he was, a, he was a Roman citizen. He had everything you could ask for, this world could give. Because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. It goes on in verse 15. But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, he encountered Jesus. And he says, just so you know, when he says, and called me by his grace, he's demonstrating to us. When he, God called him by his grace, it had nothing to do with his self-righteousness. It had nothing to do with who Paul was as the perfect Jewish person, blameless in the, in the law. It had nothing to do with that because God, from my mother's womb, set me apart and called me by his grace. Grace is truly unmerited. God's love is truly has nothing to do with our own righteousness. It is God's gracious call. It's unmerited. Verse 16. He was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. And so Paul says this, he says, God called me from my mother's womb. And, and so he's, he's also appealing to the Jewish uh, 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 traditions of, of, of like the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah, when God went to Jeremiah, he told Jeremiah in, in Jeremiah 1.5, I chose you before you, I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And so as Paul is arguing for his apostleship of Jesus Christ, he's appealing back to the Old Testament. And just as Jeremiah was called, as God said, before I formed you in the womb, I set you apart. Paul is using that same language in his argument for his apostleship, that God had marked him out before he was even born. And then this is his story. This is his testimony in Acts chapter 22. The actual account of Jesus, or Paul's uh, encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus is in Acts chapter 8 and 9. But there's a lot of different stories in between there. And so in Acts chapter 22, he's before a mob in Jerusalem. He's about ready to get beat 
yet again and whipped and scourged and thrown into prison yet again. And before they do, he knows his time is short, and so he gives his testimony to these people that are about ready to persecute him. And so in this testimony, we see his encounter with Jesus. Acts 22, verse 1 says this, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in Aramaic, they became even quieter because that's what the Jewish people would speak in Aramaic. He continued, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city. He was a Jewish or he was a Roman citizen, but yet he was raised in Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. I can't get that name right, Melba. Gamaliel, thank you. According to the strictness of our ancestral law, I was zealous for God, just as all of you are today. He's like, I was once one of you, zealous for the traditions of the fathers. I persecuted this way, or the people of the way. That's what us as Christians were called, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so it was almost an insult term. The people, those are the people of the way. I persecuted this way, the people of the way, to, to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail. As both the high priest and and the whole council of elders can testify about me. He's like, look, your religious leaders, they can testify who I was. After I received letters from them to the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to arrest those who were there and bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. He was going to Damascus to persecute Christ's church. And as I was traveling and approaching Damascus, about noon... An intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. And so we must ask, why is Jesus saying you're persecuting me when he's actually persecuting the church? Jesus has taken this pretty personally because the church is his bride. And by persecuting his church, Paul was persecuting Jesus. I am the one, Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. Verse 9, now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what should I do, Lord? That's often the response we should have. We encounter Jesus, right? Paul's encounter and testimony is pretty unique. It's not the regular principle that we would see and normally encounter. Our testimonies probably don't include walking down a road and seeing a bright light and being blinded for a few days. But we should all have a personal testimony on how you came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It should be an encounter, a conviction of the Holy Spirit, of your need, of your sinful condition, and your need to be saved and receive him, his accomplished work, in your account. Everyone should have that testimony. And that, that's typically how it goes, especially now, right? We, we proclaim the gospel. We rely on the Spirit of God to do the convicting and those things. But we need to always emphasize the fact that salvation is not found in a prayer. Salvation is not found in a religion or a baptism or a work or being a Baptist or being a Presbyterian. Salvation is found in a personal encounter with Jesus Christ and receiving and believing him, turning from and abandoning all hope in anything else and trusting in Christ's accomplished work alone. That is salvation. Just as Paul encountered Jesus personally, he gives us testimony. I said, what should I do, Lord? And that should be our next response, right? And we know in the New Testament context, it's be baptized. 
The first step of obedience should be baptism, identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then take up your cross daily and follow him. We see Isaiah, this beautiful vision. He sees this vision of heaven, the holy God of gods, the angels around him, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And then he hears, who's going to go out and tell the world about who I am? And he says, here I am, send me. To encounter God in this special saving way after he's been purged and, and his sins are cleansed, as if he wants to serve God. Paul, what should I do, Lord? The Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything that you have been signed, assigned to do. And since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, he was blinded on the road to Damascus. I was led by the hand of those who were with me and went into Damascus, and someone named Ananias, a devout man according to the law, who had a good reputation with all the Jews living there, came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. In that very hour, I looked up and saw him. And he said, The Lord, or the God of our ancestors, has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, to see with his own eyes the glorious resurrected Jesus. And to hear the words from his mouth, since you will be a witness for him to all people of what you have seen and heard. It is the call of the Christian even today to be a witness for him to all people of what Jesus has done for you, for what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you delaying, he says. Ananias was a good old Baptist. Get up and be baptized, right? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. We know baptism is a, it's a means in which we pro- proclaim to the world that we now identify with de- Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And as we stand in the waters of baptism, we are identifying with our death that we are though we're in Christ and in, in his death we are dying with him and our old nature are dying and we go into the waters of baptism and come up in newness of life, in a new creation, being born again, and we're identifying with that. And in the, especially in the Jewish sense of of what uh, a circumcision was, right? We're always pointing to the fact that Paul is writing this, or being reminded of the fact that Paul is writing this letter to a church that's being attacked by false teachers who say, you must be circumcised. And so he says, look, circumcision, we identified with the Old Testament. Those who are in the New Testament now identify not by circumcision, but by baptism. Going to the waters of baptism. So baptism is not a means of grace or a way to be saved. It's more of an identification, proclaiming to the Lord that you now identify with Christ. And the true means in which we are saved and our sins are washed away are by calling on his name, receiving him as Savior. Calling, crying out to him, Lord, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. Will you save me? Will you give me the means to believe and receive Jesus as my Savior. Get up, he says to Paul, and be baptized and washed away. It's calling on Jesus' name. Verse 17, going back to Galatians chapter 1, Paul goes on to demonstrate that he was taught by Jesus himself. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who became apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. And so he's trying to establish the fact that he did not go sit under the apostles, the 12 apostles back in the, in the, in the church of, in Jerusalem. The Lord kept him separate from that. Instead, I went to Arabia, more than likely by Sinai. Who knows what, what was going on? I want to ask Paul what those three years were like. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. And then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, who is Peter. And I stayed with him 15 days. So he's like, yes, three years later, I met Cephas. I finally met Peter, the apostle. 
but I only stayed with him 15 days. Not nearly enough time for, for Peter to be able to explain or teach Paul what the gospel was. But it was more this time when, when Peter and Paul had this opportunity to say, well, this is what the Lord told me to teach. What about you? And this would be a time when they could say, oh, we're teaching a different gospel, but that wasn't the case. It was the same gospel, the gospel of salvation by grace through faith alone. I stayed with them 15 days, but I didn't see any other of the apostles except James. So obviously these false teachers are coming and say, well, you can't trust Paul. Paul's not part of the 12. He's not part of the church of Jerusalem. How can he be an apostle? And so Paul is saying, this is why <laughs> Jesus marked me from my mother's womb to be an apostle. I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I write to you. As you, It's interesting, as you parse the Greek in this verse, and in verse 20, I declare in the sight of God, I'm not lying in what I write to you. What, what Paul is really saying is, if I'm lying, I'm dying. That was my joke. <laughs> Fell flat. He's testifying, I am not lying what I write to you. And afterward I, went, afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches. He's like, look, I wasn't flaunting who I was. As we see in verse 23, they kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. He's like, I'm in the region. I'm hearing these people glorify God because of what God has done in me, that the one that was persecuting us is now teaching the faith. He's like, but I was not wrapped up in being elevated. I kept a low, I was under the radar. And they glorified God because of me, he says. So he's defending his apostleship. He, he gives his testimony as how Jesus encountered Paul. And that's the basis in which for us today, we can have an assurity of what Paul wrote is from God. It is God's inspired word to us. God is not fickle. God is not changing. He's unchanging. He never wavers. He doesn't decide the gospel is this one day and then the way of salvation is this way or, and then the next day changes his mind. We can have an assurity that God has revealed to us how we can have relationship with him. Through the apostolic writings that God has promised to preserve for us. So what's our takeaway today? We have this his, lots of history today, right? And so I, hopefully we can take away the fact of the importance of having our testimony. And if you can't think of a time in which you've encountered Jesus, where Jesus has shown you, maybe today's the day when the Spirit is revealing to you your need to abandon hope in your membership or mem abandon hope in, in um, uh, how many times you go to church, abandon hope in your self-righteousness and trust and receive Jesus as the only means in which God will accept you. As you receive Jesus, he takes upon your sin and he gives you your righteousness. We talked about in Sunday school. What a gift. We stand in the righteousness of Christ. But you must encounter Jesus personally. So that's our first takeaway. The second one is and I love this because I can beat myself up pretty good about the rat that I truly am when I look myself in the mirror in the morning. Paul's testimony is proof positive that God's grace is truly unmerited. Here's a self-righteous, zealous dude going and persecuting the church of Christ. Yet Paul saves him. God doesn't look down and say, you know, Paul's a pretty good guy. He deserves it. No. Paul's a murderer. He's a persecutor of his church. Yet he's a recipient of God's unmerited love. If Paul can be saved by God's grace, praise be to God, anyone can be saved by God's grace. And secondly, my, may we endeavor to live our lives for God's glory and not to please people. I was struck by verse 10 as I began to study. I mentioned it last week, but I wanted to start in verse 10 because 
I was reminded of how important this verse truly is. He says, for am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? What are we living for? How easy it is to live life to please others. How different my life would be if I chose to live to please God and not care what others thought. Paul demonstrates this in his ministry time and time again. His one goal was not to be looked up to by people or please people. His one goal was to please God. It's standing firm for the truth. And we can take this verse in the context of what we'll see in in Galatians chapter 3 and when Peter is with some eating with Gentiles and all of a sudden some people from the Jerusalem church shows up and they mutter to Peter, why are you eating with Gentiles? We know the, the wall's been broken down. But Peter all of a sudden retracts and begins to eat with the Jewish people and not the Gentiles. And Paul calls him out. Peter, you're a hypocrite. Peter at that moment was living to please people and not God. May God give us the grace and the means and the empowerment of the Spirit to live to please God and not people. Let's pray. Father, we love you because you first loved us. We're so thankful, God, for your goodness, your grace is overwhelming. Help us, Lord, to live to please you, to stand for the faith once delivered for the saints. Help us to be your light. Help us to be the salt. Help us to demonstrate your love to those around us who desperately need you. We ask it in Christ's precious and powerful name. Amen. Have a time of invitation. This is our last song. This is just a time for you to interact with what maybe the Spirit has laid on your heart this morning. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, you've never had that personal encounter, I can't save you. But I can show you from the Word how you can have a saving relationship with Jesus who can save you and will save you. Brother Jim.